Guy Gordon, Lloyd Jackson, and Jamie Edmonds are up at 6 with JR Morning. Now it's First Thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale. Well, today is the day, Renee, at 9 a.m. at the courthouse in Pontiac. The jury in the Jennifer Crumbly manslaughter trial will gather for final instructions and then go off and, and uh, try to come to a verdict. And I have to say, I, I can't really read which way this is going to go. I, yeah, same here. It's hard to believe that this has only been seven days of testimony. Didn't it feel like it was a month? Yeah, it, well, it's because every single day there was just so much. There was a bombshell. Every every day there was something yeah. new. Yeah, the, uh, I, I believe the prosecution called 20-some-odd witnesses. The defense called one I don't know if that's a sign that things don't bode well for Jennifer Crumley, but of course the burden is on the prosecution and not the defense. So right. Prosecution's so, basically just painting this picture that no, she wasn't a perfect mom, but was she a bad enough mom that she wouldn't have known the signs that her son was going to take part right. in a school shooting. And that's why I'd be a terrible juror because I, I know personally what what I believe, I believe that Jennifer and James Crumbly were absolutely responsible for these deaths. But, um, you know, is there a, a, a law that was on the books at the time right. that um, could put them put them away, send them to prison? And did the prosecution meet that burden? So but well, I, th- I think some of the blame goes on the school officials, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we talked about it last week. There's just a symphony of errors and yeah. a symphony of near misses that if. It, it, to me, it seems like the only person who actually tried to do anything about it was this teacher that reported the shooter uh, and, and his classwork. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine how devastated that teacher was because they did all they could. And then everyone else screwed it up from yep. that point on. Correct. So we'll talk about that more at at uh, 35-ish because there's a lot to get to. Um, last night, the Senate finally released the details of their border funding bill. And um, it's $118 billion total. $60 billion of that will go to Ukraine, $14 billion to Israel, $10 billion for humanitarian aid in Gaza, and $20 billion in additional funding to the Department of Homeland Security. Wow. Now, yeah, right. And, and I would imagine right there already, Republicans in the House are going to have a uh, an issue with $60 billion going to Ukraine, $20 billion going to the border. But the uh, bill would essentially end catch and release. Migrants caught crossing illegally would be detained while their asylum claims are being evaluated. It would expand the numbers of green cards eligible uh, for the next five years, the green card visas. The bill would also shut down the asylum application process if the number of expulsions and detainments hit 4,000 a week and then completely shut the border down if that average hits 5,000. A week until that number either drops to 75% of the number that triggered the shutdown. Um, and then, or if 270 have passed the first year, 225 the second year, 130, uh, 180 the third year. Uh, it's a three year deal. And this is very confusing. And, and to be honest, Rene, uh, we probably don't need to delve too deep into it because. Speaker Mike Johnson has already said that it's going to be dead on arrival in the House. I was going to say, this is just another big waste of time, it sounds like. Yeah, I was confusing myself. (laughs) And then um, the House passed their own bill, a standalone $17.6 billion aid bill to Israel, 
to Ukraine, and this appears to be a standalone bill for Israel only because I've heard no mention of anything on the border. But as I've said in the past, I think lawmakers who are hesitant to send money to Ukraine, they need to think long and hard about what Europe and the rest of the world looks like if Russia overtakes Ukraine, because then they're on NATO's doorstep. Poland is a NATO ally. And once a NATO ally is attacked, all NATO allies need to get involved militarily. So, right. Well, isn't that the whole point of NATO? Right. Exactly. <laughs> so right now, right now we're just sending money to Ukraine. If Ukraine is overtaken and Russia sets their sights on Poland next, we're going to be sending our kids over there. We're going to be sending troops. It's going to get and we'll be, Right. And we'll be sending money where if we would have just kept sending money, it would have just been money and not troops over there. So um, I, I think it's short sighted to not send more money over to Ukraine. I understand that. I understand the sentiment that we need that money here. But there's there's really bad real life consequences for the United States if Ukraine um, falls, so to speak. And over in the Middle East, the U.S. has conducted a number of airstrikes against Iranian-backed militant groups in response to last week's attack on Tower 22, Renee. Yep, the retaliatory strikes, uh, which were launched at Biden's direction and are expected to last several days, hit 85 targets linked to Iran or Iranian proxies in Syria and Iraq. This came nearly a week after the U.S. says that an Iran-backed militia killed three American soldiers and wounded more than 40 others in a drone attack near the Jordan-Syria border. President Biden said the United States does not seek conflict in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world, but let all those who might seek to do us harm know this. If you harm an American, we will respond. And Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin reiterated in a separate statement that Friday strikes were only the start of our response. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said that the targets were chosen based on intelligence that linked them to attacks against U.S. forces. And after it was determined that there were no civilians in the area. And then Kirby added that the U.S. notified the Iraqi government ahead of the strikes, but didn't have any contact with the Iranian government and the Iraqi government said that there was no prior coordination between the U.S. and Iraq, saying it is a false claim with the intent of misleading international public opinion. Yeah, and then on Saturday, U.S. and British forces, they hit 36 additional Houthi targets in Yemen. Uh, those were mostly buried weapon storage facilities, missile systems, and launch sites that have been used by the Houthis during their numerous attacks on civilian and U.S. military ships in the Red Sea. And we're, I was just talking about how all these these bills, these competing uh, funding bills in Congress are, are hurting my brain. Something else that has been making my brain hurt are all these court cases against former President Donald Trump. Um, you all see the spreadsheet. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we need like a spreadsheet or or one of those sheets like the football coaches Brackets. are. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 they hold on the sidelines to call plays. We just need to. We just need like some kind of flow chart on it. Right. Um, well, go ahead. No, I was going to say, well, uh, Donald Trump's federal election interference trial was set to start March 4th. That's been postponed, while the question of whether or not Donald Trump is immune to crimes he may or may not have committed in office works its way back through the appeals court. Um, the delay in this case may move up the trial where Donald Trump is accused of falsifying documents to cover up hush money he paid to Stormy Daniels. That's actually the first one that he was indicted on. Um 
and of course he's uh, accused of paying her that money to cover up an affair the two allegedly had before the 2016 election. That date was set for March 25th, and the Mar-a-Lago documents case where Trump was accused of keeping sensitive classified documents in unsecured rooms at his Florida Mar-a-Lago properties, that's set for May for now. And then this Georgia election (laughs) interference case, that's penciled in. Uh, for August, and there's quite a bit of drama surrounding that one. Yeah, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis on Friday acknowledged having a personal relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade as former President Donald Trump and another co-defendant have sought to get them disqualified from the Georgia election interference case. So in a filing, Willis seemed to respond to the allegations by stating that any personal relationship among members of the prosecution team does not amount to a disqualifying conflict of interest or otherwise harm a criminal defendant. So Willis in her office argued that the relationship hasn't corrupted their ability to oversee the case. The filing said that Trump co-defendant Michael Roman, who first made the allegation that Willis and Wade had a relationship to get the charges tossed, widely speculates that Willis benefited financially from the investigation and prosecution of this criminal case, but provides no support to justify that conclusion. So in an affidavit included in the filing, Wade directly acknowledged his personal relationship with Willis, which he said didn't exist at the time of his hiring. And addressing personal trips that they took together, he said that they roughly split the cost of travel. The filing Friday said that the allegations raised by Roman and other motions to disqualify Willis and Wade are salacious and garnered the media attention that they were designed to obtain. But if shot down, accusations made by Trump and his co-defendant in the case, uh, but it shot down those accusations. Uh, and reacting to the news on Friday, Trump rallied against the Fulton County prosecutors in a post on Truth Social, saying that the case against him and others is a scam that is totally discredited and over. Well, here, here's the thing. I don't believe it's a scam. However, I it, it's absolutely a conflict of interest. Really I believe. Is. I personally believe that Donald Trump did try to uh, coerced the Georgia Secretary of State into "quote unquote" finding enough votes for him to win the state. However, the fact that Fonnie Willis and uh, Prosecutor Wade, whether the relationship was in place when she appointed him or it blossomed after after the fact, it's absolutely a conflict of interest. Right? And- they don't have their timeline straight at this point as to when this whole thing started. They're now acknowledging right. it, but they right. don't know when it started. Right. The, 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 the expensive trips out of town aside, one of them should have recused themselves once they got into this affair or whatnot. Right. Because Just because you admit it now doesn't make right. it okay. Right. At least one of them is still married. And I Ugh. think that one of them could have stayed on the case if they immediately one of them would have recused themselves, but but n- n- you got to start over. You, right, you, you got to get uh, a, a, another DA to oversee that. Another You're special back at square one. I don't know if you change venues or whatnot, but uh, we'll see what happens. This is an absolute soap opera. We got to hit a break. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. Well, the Senate released details of the border funding package that it passed on Friday. It's 118 billion dollars overall. 60 billion for Ukraine, 14 billion for Israel, 10 billion humanitarian aid in Gaza, and 20 billion will go to the border in additional funding to the Department of Homeland Security. The bill, um, it, it looks to do away with catch and release. 
Uh, it looks to speed up the asylum process, and it gives the federal government the ability to shut down the border if the number of migrants trying to cross over reaches a thir- certain threshold. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson posted on X the other night, uh, Speaker of the House saying that it will be dead on arrival. The House passed their own standalone $17.6 billion aid bill to Israel, which is supposed to go down in the House. So looks like we're back to square one. U.S. conducted a number of airstrikes against Iranian-backed militant groups over the weekend. Friday, the U.S. attacked 85 rocket missile drone and logistical system targets belonging to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard in Iraq and Syria. Um 60 people reported killed in that. Saturday, U.S. and British forces hit 36 Houthi targets in Yemen, mostly buried weapons storage facilities, missile systems, and launch sites that have been used by the Houthis during their numerous attacks against civilian ships and U.S. military ships in the Red Sea, 40 dead in that. Donald Trump's federal election interference trial was set to start March 4th. It's been postponed, while the question of whether or not Donald Trump is immune to any crimes he may or may not have committed in office works its way back up through the appeals courts. Fonnie Willis, the DA in the Georgia election interference case, has admitted to having a personal relationship with one of the prosecutors she picked to oversee that case. And Renee, the eyes of the entire legal profession as well as the national media, will be on Pontiac, the courthouse over there, because at 9 a.m., the jury in the Jennifer Crumley manslaughter trial will receive their final instructions from the judge before they go off to deliberate a verdict. And we talked about it earlier. I really can't read which way this is going to go. Do you think we're going to get a verdict today? That was my other question. I don't know how long it's going to take to get a verdict on this and i don't know if a quick verdict is good for the defense or for the prosecution yeah and i wonder i mean i know that it's a completely different trial uh for for her husband but i wonder if that's going to you know this trial play into the mindset of the next trial i i don't know well and i wonder if 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 evidence that was brought forth in this trial can be used in in his trial I mean, it, it's similar evidence. It, it it has to, right? Right. But I wonder, you know, because there was a lot made about how Jennifer Crumbly said that James Crumbly was the uh, one who was responsible for, for storing the weapon and everything. I wonder if, you know, stuff, things that she said on the stand about that could be used as in, in court in his trial. Right. We'll Can that be introduced as evidence? I, I don't know. Well, and I think that's why there's so much interest in, in this case, because it's the first of its kind. And we were kind of talking about this during the break. It's kind of odd to watch this being covered by by, by outsiders from an outside perspective, like the, the national media or, or TikTok. Um, <laughs> you know, this this story, we've been living with it since November 30th of 2021, right? Uh, we've right. Been, there's been so many updates that have happened, so much litigation against um, the school, so much uh, investigations into it. I mean, it's 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 been constant since then. But much like much like all the school shootings all over the country, if you don't live in these areas, it kind of goes away. So everyone is kind of refamiliarizing themselves 
with this trial. And to me, one of the most jarring things, and, and I understand why they have to say this, uh, because, like I said, they're, they're kind of recapping the story for this national audience that hasn't heard much about it in two and a half years. But it, it's almost jarring when I'm watching these national newscasts and they use the shooter's name because we've kind of made a pact here locally to not use his name because in the Miller hearing, um, one of his motives was to be famous. Right. So to me, that's the like when I actually hear his name on TV, I'm like, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it is interesting to see how we've taken on the coverage uh, versus how the national spotlight has for sure. Yeah. And of course, we're we're going to try to be more sensitive about it because obviously it happened in in our community. It's our friends, our family that this affected. Right. And and I'm sure that in other communities far away from us where other school shootings have happened, it's similar. They're probably dealing with it. They're probably covering it. There's probably news breaking all the time. They've never gone away from it. Right. But if you live far away from one of these tragedies, it it, it it's it's front page news for two or three days and then you kind of just forget about it to the next yeah. one, right? Right. Um, and, and of course, at this point, my entire TikTok feed is is this trial. Um, mostly the the defense, Shannon Smith, the defense lawyer. <sighs> That's and, yeah. I'm I, I'm understanding the algorithm um, knows what I want, but I I can't believe how much of my TikTok is this. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, we 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 talk about it off air, but we've kind of made a decision to to not. We have mentioned some of her gaffes. But we don't like to focus too much of uh, too much on it because because we don't really want the seriousness and the real world consequences that people are dealing with in the aftermath of this to get lost sort of in the, um, you know, sensationalist aspects of these trials. Right. But uh, it's hard not to notice um, her takes on things, we'll say, the way she decides to present material. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the. Taylor Swift opening arguments was very cringeworthy uh, when she said, I'm going to kill myself uh, when she was having computer problems. It's but I mean, here's the thing. Putting deodorant on in the courtroom. Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing. She she has represented a lot of high profile criminal defense cases. So um, she, she's obviously a legit lawyer. And um, yeah, so. There's a lot about the justice system I don't understand, and uh, and that's one of them. Um, now, Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud he said that police will be ramping up patrols over concerns of anti-Muslim violence after the Wall Street Journal published an op-ed titled "Welcome to Dearborn, America America's Jihad Capital." And I read the op-ed. Essentially, it focuses on three radical Muslim religious leaders and their congregation making inflammatory and threatening statements and holding rallies in the wake of the October 7th Hamas attack on Israel. And and any celebration of the attack on Israel on October 7th needs to be denounced, refuted. Any threats should be investigated. But to say these three radicals and their congregation represent all of Dearborn, it's ignorant at best and it's dangerous at worst. I mean, we've We've lived near Dearborn our whole lives. It's no secret. It's the most populous Muslim country in America. I've never felt unsafe. Never. No. In fact, I love going out there. I have a a girlfriend that lives out there, and it's it's just such a peaceful community out there. 
and I mean, and, and I remember back in 2001 after the 9-11 terror attacks, there was some slight hysteria about the fact that there's such a large Muslim city in Metro Detroit and, the, and, and everyone's saying there were sleeper cells oh ready gosh. to be activated. Nothing happened. Nothing ever happened. And I mean, when you've got a huge concentration of one type of people living in an area, you're going to get radicals. You're going to get you're you're going to get extremists. And, and you're also going to get the stereotypes. Right. But overall, to say that these three wackos and and their congregation are representative of all Dearborn and that De- that makes Dearborn the jihad capital of America. It's I, I would be curious to see if this guy has ever been to Dearborn. I feel like this was I feel like this was written. His research was Google and like the blaze.com or something. Right, right. And, you know, now State Representative Alabas Farhat responded by saying that the article's shameful. The mayor of Dearborn announced Saturday that police are going to be ramping up patrols in the city after this op-ed, uh, saying effective immediately, Dearborn police will ramp up its presence across all places of worship and major infrastructure points. He posted that on X. He said this is a direct result of the inflammatory WSJ opinion piece that was led that has led to an alarming increase of bigoted and Islamophobic rhetoric online targeting the city of Dearborn. He also says increasing security is the right thing to do and what they have to do. Yeah, they really do, at least in the short term, because, um, yeah, like you said, there's been an, uh, an increase in, in threats and Islamophobic rhetoric online. And it, it's it's directly linked to this this op ed. Got to take a quick break. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR. And Guy Lloyd and Jamie join us in the studio right now. And Howdy. A, a bit of a sad weekend when it comes to uh, celebrity deaths, especially here locally. I was glad to see the Grammys got Wayne Kramer, the guitarist of the MC5, yeah, in their mm-hmm. in memoriam last night. Uh, quick, quick turnaround on that. Friday, of course, we learned about the passing of Carl Weathers. And then later on in the weekend, and this seemed to happen suddenly, Earl Curitan, um, former Piston, and he was doing some work with uh, U of D on their broadcasts, uh, passed away suddenly. Yeah, I mean, I was shocked when my husband noticed it first before me. I'm like, what? No. Right. He's fit. He's healthy. He's energetic. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was such the the sweetest guy. If I needed him for something for a story, he was there. And yeah. I I'm so sorry for his family. You know, when well, you you look at it, he was kind of the anchor of the beginning of the Bad Boys era. He was, he was yes. the mature guy there as Joe D and yep. Isaiah, as they were all coming up. He was, you know, he was the the mature guy in the in the <laughs> locker room, and that was an important role. We needed a guy like that. And, uh, yeah, he was a native Detroiter. He played uh, a couple years, like you said, guy kind of at the beginning of the Pistons turnaround in the early 80s. Uh, and then he traveled all over the world to play basketball, and then he came home. And he's one of the, these these guys who, yeah, he had a nice NBA career, but he really built his legacy in the community after he was done playing, both working with the Pistons in UND and, and uh, through a lot of his uh, philanthropic philanthropic work yeah Yeah. he was to basketball what willie horton is to baseball in this Mm -hmm. town right Mm -hmm. he's one of our guys 
who made it and distinguished himself and always, you know, he never failed to make us proud. Nope. That's a great analogy. I think yeah. they said on the Bally broadcast that he wore Detroit on his sleeve, and he did. He did. He just, like, talked about it wherever he was, whatever he was doing. And, it, you know, I talked to him last about the St. Cecilia stuff on Sports Final Edition. There'd be many times when I'd be at a game, and, you know, you see him walking past or walking up the aisle or whatever, and you speak to him, he would speak to you. He would not, mm-hmm. you know, play you off of be, you know, he's some some sports Persons sure. can be kind of irritating, but no, he was never like that. Always very welcoming. And I have to say, the uh, the Carl Weathers, I, I'm often that hurt surprised. me, man. That hurt. You me. know, yeah. Boy, I'm Apollo surprised. Creed. I am a Rocky. Pro- I was looking for a Rocky marathon this weekend. You don't have Rocky <laughs> without a great villain, right? right? You and don't. in the first one, he was such a uh, great he was villain. So good. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. So good. Well, and I'm often surprised at which celebrity deaths hit me hard. And this one did. And and obviously, I loved all the Rocky movies. Um, my generation, I think, knows him more as Chubbs from Happy, Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. Happy Gilmore, <laughs> right. Yeah, and yeah. see, young guys like me know him from The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah uh-huh. you know, he was great yeah. in that. Yeah. Action Jackson. Oh, yeah. Action well, Jackson. <laughs> what a diverse actor. Yeah, he I was. Mean, his comedic chops are so underrated. My favorite role is where he kind of played himself poking fun of himself at on Arrested Development. He played himself as sort of this out-of-work, washed-up actor who is scamming one of the main characters who wanted to get into acting, uh, who had no talent, and he just kind of strung this guy along. And he really kind of poked fun at the the fact that, you know, his career was kind of in a lull. And I think uh, the fact that he was willing to kind of play that role Uh showed that uh, he was he wasn't above being self-deprecating <laughs> in order to get a laugh or or play a great role. Yeah, he was a good guy. Um, and then um, some happy news, I guess. You know, Jim Leland has decided what hat he will wear when he's enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Or won't. And be, what's right. that? Or won't. Yeah, and yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna pick none. He said he doesn't want to disrespect any of the teams that he managed for. And I think that I, that's a classy move. And, and I think that's a classy move that you kind of expected Jim Leland to make. Well, it's kind of like well, asking which it. one is yeah. your favorite kid. Yeah, he said it on our air that yeah. he was basically leaning that way. And yeah. I'll tell you, for the people in Pittsburgh claim him. So it yep. probably would be a little bit of a, a, a you know, for them, for it yeah. to be Tigers. Well, and kudos to the Hall for accepting his wishes. His wishes, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, we'll be talking about this and more, JR Morning, coming up next. So I checked my Ticketmaster app yesterday, and at that time, the cheapest Super Bowl ticket was going for about $5,800. What a deal. Now, (laughs) imagine paying $12 for a ticket to the first Super Bowl back in 1967, which equals... Yeah, it equals out to about $100 in today's money. Now, imagine going to every Super Bowl since, like Greg Eaton, a businessman from Lansing. He talked about it with Paul W. on Focus. Well, for my next story here, my first out of the box, I'm going to talk to a man I've talked to for years, and I love him. There's no other way to put it. Um, And I was so hoping, and we got so close, I was so hoping that my friend Gregory Eaton would be going to Las Vegas to watch the Detroit Lions play the Kansas City Chiefs. Unfortunately, as we all know and still feel the pain of, that's not going to happen. But my friend Gregory Eaton is going to keep his streak alive 
because he's been to every Super Bowl since it began. Heck, Gregory, always a pleasure, my friend. How are you? Good morning, Paul W. Well, good uh, afternoon. It's afternoon. I know we're used to talking in the mornings, but here we are. Yes, we're usually talking in the morning. And uh, I tell you, the Detroit Lions, we're all proud of them, the fans. Uh, we've got the best friends in the world, great, great coach in the world. We'll be back. And we just ran out of luck. We did indeed. One little half. We ran out of luck. But, Gregory, um, you, you know, you would go along with what my grandpa Harry used to say to me, God bless him. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And you have worked very hard, and therefore the harder you work, the luckier you've gotten. You have accomplished so much. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. It is just incredible. Well, I've, I've been blessed. I've been blessed, Paul, you know. And we're looking forward to uh, another Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, Don Chrisman, uh, 88. Uh, Tom Henson, 83. And I'm 84. And these guys, we have been the only people left alive. Uh, we're honoring uh, Nora Hunt, the, the wife of Malara Hunt. She was the only female. So she passed away this summer. So we're honored here at our press conference in uh, the Rivertail Resort in Vegas uh, uh, Friday from 1230 to 3. We'll have probably about 40 uh, press guys interviewing us. We do, we do it every year. I know that you do, and I know that you make it a point to talk with us first, uh, starting off as we have supported you for years and years and years. Uh, being part of the Never Miss a Super Bowl Club, a club that we've watched uh, get smaller and smaller and smaller. In fact, didn't you start going before they actually called it a Super Bowl, or am I misremembering that? No, the first two were world championships. The first, the third was a Super Bowl, the first really what they called a Super Bowl with uh, Joe Namath. Oh, boy. And that was the first one. And then they've been calling it a Super Bowl ever since. You know, all we keep hearing is just how incredibly expensive these tickets are. They're looking uh, to to surge past the record-breaking average of $12,700. That was the average, but that was a couple, maybe a couple weeks ago. So that means there were a lot of tickets that cost a lot more uh, than 12700 Not a heck of a lot costing a lot less. But in well, the past, I got two tickets, yeah, two tickets on the on the fifty yard line was nine thousand dollars, or ten thousand, five thousand apiece. Now the tickets we got from the NFL that we get are in the corner of the end zone. They put us there, which is fine. And them tickets are are thirty five hundred apiece. So that was what I was going to ask you if they if they did anything to take good care of this very small, very special club that's made such history by being to every Super Bowl. So what you're telling me is they would have given you two tickets in the corner, but you said, I'm going to the Super Bowl again. I've been to every one of them. I want the best seat I can get. So you bought two tickets on the 50-yard line for a total of about 10000 bucks. Yes, but I'm going to sit with them guys. Uh, I'm going to sit with them guys because, you know, and I got a sponsor for them. Uh, Ron Bogey Company paid for their tickets and everything. So I went out and got a sponsor because 
the, the average ticket, the average trip to the Super Bowl is about ten thousand dollars a year now. Between hmm. tickets, plane fare, air, clothes, boom, boom. So it's getting pretty expensive. So you wanted to help your guys yeah. get some tickets, so you got a sponsor. God bless you. I'm I'm a little annoyed at Roger Goodell making his sixty million a year that he doesn't more doesn't do more to celebrate you guys. The fiftieth year, the fiftieth year, he paid for airfare tickets and to get there. But you you know that's once once us three are gone now, once us three is gone, it's over. I would think the commissioner would put us in a suite. Uh, Tom is 88, and, I mean, it's getting in and out of the game. But, you know, I, I can't believe because that's I – mean, these are guys that really believe in, in – in they're just working-class guys trying to get to the Super Bowl. But it's getting so expensive, that's why I went out and, 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 and raised some money for the, to, to pay for their trip. I mean, I'm I'm blessed. I'm I, I save my pennies. You know me and you don't pick. We pick up pennies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you. You know, Gregory called me after that show one morning. I was talking about I would bend over and pick up a penny, and my the other people working with me said, "Oh no, no, I wouldn't do that." I said, "All right, well, so what's what's the amount that you would bend over and pick it up?" And I think it was a quarter or even more. I don't know, but yeah, I bend over and pick up pennies. And Gregory <laughs> called me and said, "Paul W." I bend over and pick up pennies, too, because we know the value of pennies and money. And you've done it from all the different jobs you've had in Lansing. Uh, you're, you're now, uh, 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 among other things, a lobbyist. Uh, you, uh, you've you owned a restaurant. You uh, helped start Metro Cars that you're still a part of. I mean, the list goes on and on. And this is from a man who could have easily said, well, you know, I happen to be born black, and therefore I can't do this or I can't do that. He couldn't get into the hotels in his original uh, trips to the Super Bowl. He, his friends happened to be white. They could stay at the hotels. He was turned away at the hotels they stayed in. That's well, what that, you've gone through. Let me straighten that out, Paul. Paul, uh, the second Super Bowl, or the second game, I left Lansing with five business people here in Lansing that I grew up with. That I had a janitor, so I cleaned the buildings, and we went together. And they stayed at a, like the DAC. I'm belonging to DAC, and they had rooms. There was a private club like that that I could not stay in. 